Have you ever known someone that was out of touch with reality? Think about it. Someone that you know that really isn't living a life in which other people look at them and are like, yeah, that person is crazy. They're living a life in which the person outside of their life is like, yeah, that guy's a weirdo. But they don't know it. They're out of touch with reality. If you're taking a math class right now, if you have taken a math class in the past, you probably know something called the Pythagorean theorem. You know, the hypotenuse triangle thing. Great. Shh. Calm down. Don't get excited about math. Now, the important thing to realize, which you probably, none of you guys probably know, I didn't know this, but the guy Pythagoras, he actually invented his own religion, believe it or not. Now, this religion had two main points. Number one, souls are reincarnated, and number two, beans are evil. I'm not talking about like metaphysical beans, I'm talking about real beans, like pinto beans. Like you go to Chipotle, beans are evil. Now, I don't know why he thought this. Some thought, well, maybe it's like the sign of birth and it's reincarnated. I don't really know. What I do know is, according to legend, he believed that beans were evil so much so that one of his pursuers, like his enemies, set fire to his house. So he ran out, and they chased him and cornered him in a bean field. And then he, he vowed he would rather die than enter that bean field, and then they slit his throat and he died. I'm dead serious. Wikipedia, guys. That's where you get all facts. Now, there's a guy named Empedocles. He was a Greek scientist and philosopher. Now, Empedocles discovered 450 years before Jesus that the earth was a sphere. He also discovered that light travels at a speed. A very smart guy. But this very smart man also believed that he was a god, which means he's a little bit out of touch with reality. And so much so, it's not just like those crazy people that think they're god and they have like a messiah complex or anything. This guy believed he was god so much so that he wanted to prove himself to his skeptics. So he said, I'm going to jump into that volcano, and I'm going to come out unscathed. So he had this giant crowd of people watch this, you know, majestic feat where he was going to jump into this volcano. He jumps into the volcano, and he dies. <laughs> That's it. Can you imagine? You're like, all of his followers are like, yes, I know he's God. I know he's God. And they watch him jump in. He's like, well, that's it. I guess it's over. So... Thinking about this, I, I'm going to ask you a question. What if your opinion of yourself was completely out of touch of reality? What if the opinion that you hold of yourself is completely out of touch of reality? Maybe you're like those people on American Idol, those singers that believe they are the greatest thing since sliced bread. They believe that they have a gift, a voice, and they go up and then they sing, like they talk the talk. They go up there before the judges, and they had the worst voice ever. And the judges tell them the truth. Yeah, you're terrible. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm not terrible. You guys are wrong. You're going to see, you're going to regret this, and they walk away. Those people are crazy. They're out of touch of reality. Well, how would you know that you're not someone like that? How do you know that your friends don't view you in the same way? 
like all your friends laugh at your jokes and they think you're really funny and you're, oh yeah, you're so popular at school. And then you walk away and like, wow, that guy is so crazy. How do you know that you're not one of those people? Hmm. Well, I guess you would need someone who sees the truth to tell you the truth, right? Well, then how would you know, in this case, regarding our topic of humility, how would you know if you're being humble? In other words, how would you know that you're not some stuck-up, proud guy? Well, we would have to go to Scripture. In other words, we would have to go to the truth in order to gain a right view about reality, about our lives. In order to know that you're not proud and stuck-up and people don't think that you're some weirdo, you'd have to know reality, and Scripture gives us an accurate picture of reality, so we'd have to go to scripture to see, Lord, am I really being humble? Or am I proud? Do I have a problem with my ego? Well, let's look at the life of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar to see how the word of the Lord came to him. Now, just a, a little bit of background Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. This guy was the man. He had the most, at this time, he was the most powerful man on the planet. Now, Nebuchadnezzar could do anything that he wanted, and no one could challenge him. And he had a dream. And what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 4 is he had, this is his second dream. First dream was about himself as a statue. We'll talk about that a little bit later. This is his second dream. And it troubled him so much that he called Daniel the prophet to speak. And he says in verse 18, This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you... Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Now, when he says that, it's not a profession of faith. It's not saying that he believes that the one true God is in him. Uh, it's actually saying he believes that the gods are with him or uh, Baal is with him, because Belteshazzar just means prince of Baal. So in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. In other words, it was hard to tell his friend Nebi the truth. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. 
And inasmuch as they, as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, that your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Nebi has this dream. And Daniel interprets this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's hard to tell him, you know, Nebi's up there. He's the most powerful plant person on the planet. But Daniel has to tell him the truth. And the truth is, Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's all that because he happens to be the most powerful person on the planet. But what Daniel has to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar is that God is the one that rules in the kingdoms of men. And he gives those kingdoms to whomever he chooses. And that's why Daniel's saying to Nebuchadnezzar that he must humble himself before the Lord. Otherwise, God will punish him. In verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. So after a year of this prophecy uh, being stated, the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? So he did not humble himself. And a year later, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws." And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my head, eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his kingdom is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are re re reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. I know that was a large chunk of information. But it's important that we get the whole story together. Because you see, like Nebuchadnezzar, we all want to be front and center. Here in America, especially New Jersey, we all want to be the star. We want to be the very best that no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. For me, I don't know about you, but it was about making not just good music, but I had to make the best music. It's not about playing soccer and being a soccer player. It's not about being a skateboarder. It's about being the best skateboarder, the, the, the best soccer player, the best singer. And the minute, you know, you, you start training yourself for a competition, you start 
honing your skills and abilities. The minute someone's better than you, all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, I'm not that great. And you kind of like look at yourself like you have to be better than that person or you talk bad about that other person. We all have to be on stage and we all want to be seen by other people. We also don't want anyone to see when things go wrong in our lives. And that's kind of like the effects of having social media in our day and age is that our Facebook profiles and information, we can tailor the way that we want other people to see us. It's not the real you that's on Facebook. It's not the real you that's on Instagram. It's you that you know, you do your makeup in the morning and then you take the self-portrait. You know, you spend like five hours tweaking everything. You make sure that everyone's seeing the comments that you want them to see and any bad comments you kind of just dislike and you want the maximum likes on your pictures. You want the maximum comments. You have the maximum age, 99. You don't put your real age. We select everything that we want others to see and hide things that we don't want them to see, especially when you're tagged in the album, Grandmother's Precious Nookums. And your grandma's just like, oh, I can't wait to tag him in these photos. You're like, Grandma, you're so uncool. Untag, untag. Anything that's bad and you don't want other people to see, suddenly it's hidden from sight and you're putting your best, the best you as possible for everyone else to see and all your profile pictures are the best pictures that you have selected and tailored for other people to see. And anytime that anyone infringes on this developed image, you know, anytime that someone posts on your wall something that you don't like, anytime your dad's being corny, anytime that your grandmother's being corny or friends being mean or post something that you don't like, I'm going to unfriend them. I'm going to delete that comment. I'm going to remove that so no one can see that. Well, maybe, maybe then we can sympathize for a man who just wanted everyone to worship his image. Like Nebuchadnezzar. When it says in Daniel, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. You see, Nebuchadnezzar just had our problem magnified to the extreme. But in some ways, he might have been justified. I mean, he really was the most powerful person on the planet. And sometimes we up-talk ourselves, and we kind of take our profiles, and we put it so that we tailor everything so people think that we're all that when we're really not. We try to be things that we're really not. It seems like even our good works are tainted by pride sometimes. You, you might have a good intention for someone. You want to do something nice for someone, but you still want recognition for the thing that you did. I think about a time, it's, I don't know if any of you have done this. I've done this before. You know, you do a good deed for someone and you kind of like, they don't know it was you, but you kind of like hint to them like, yeah, it was me. Like, I don't know, you donate money towards someone. It's like, oh, I, I really want to go on this mission trip. You're like, you know what? I'll supply that money. You pay for the money and the person's like, and the Lord just answered my prayer and they gave me the exact amount of money I needed. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, I wonder who that was. Probably someone who cares about you a lot. You know, we always want that recognition, and we don't think about the verses in the Bible that say, do it in secret so you can be rewarded openly. Well, why are we to put on humility and meekness? What's so great about being humble? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, pride is toxic. Pride is toxic. Tulian Davidian says, when life is all about us, what we can do, how we perform, our world becomes small and smothering. We shrink to have everything riding on ourselves leads to despair, not deliverance. 
We're always constantly trying to keep up our reputation when it's all about us. And the minute that it doesn't work the way that we plan and we're not impressing the people that we want to impress or, you know, uh, other people are saying things that are discouraging to us, we kind of like want to get rid of them. And the problem is we're around imperfect people all the time. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have parents that are like, you are embarrassing me. You're an embarrassment to our family, blah, blah, blah. You know, because they don't want their reputation to be tarnished. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's first dream he had was himself as a towering statue, but the ankles and the feet were made of clay. So this towering statue, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wanted himself to be seen. He wanted everyone to recognize his power. And that's why he wanted everyone to worship his image. But the feet were made of clay, so he came tumbling down. And the problem with our ego is when you feed it so much, it has to be maintained on a daily basis. You have to work so hard to make sure that everyone is appreciating you. Everyone recognizes how awesome you are. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. When we are proud, we are always disappointed because we always fail. You're not a perfect person. So if you always want people to look at you in a good light, you're going to be disappointed all the time because you yourself fail all the time. It's kind of like when you think of the story in Esther where Haman wanted all the Jews to bow down to him and worship him. And then there was the one Jew, Mordecai, that didn't care. And so he's, you know, riding around on his pony, riding around. Yes, everyone's bowing to me. I'm so awesome. Everyone's feeding my ego. And then one guy, one old man, Mordecai, doesn't bow down to him. And all of a sudden, he's offended. What's wrong with this guy? Bow down. He's like, I don't, I don't want to bow down, actually. Sorry, I only worship God, and you're not God. And so Haman's offended. He doesn't know what to do about this man. Well, I'll make you bow down. Somehow, I'll just make up laws, and I'll have you killed. And that eventually was Haman's own downfall. But he couldn't. You know, the rest of the world could bow down to him, but the fact that there's one guy that stood up to him offended him. Now there's freedom in meekness, and that's why it's important to remember, is that when you're meek, when you feel no need to defend yourself, you actually become stronger because you're not entitled to things. You don't feel like, I deserve better, and you're content with what you have. The second reason is for God's rightful glory. The second reason why we have to humble ourselves is for God's own glory. If we don't humble ourselves, then we will then there will come a time when we ourselves will be humbled. You have two choices. Humble yourself now or be humbled later. Because even in the Bible it says, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow before God and confess that he is Lord. So even if you don't believe in God, there will come a day in which you will be humbled. Matthew 23 verse 12 says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Nebuchadnezzar put so much stock into himself, uh, making himself great. And he didn't realize that the things that he was doing, the things that he was making for himself were given by God. He wouldn't be able to do anything unless God gave him those things. Now, this is in contrast to popular self-help books, which I'm probably sure that you guys have never read. But there are a couple books like uh, Awake the Giant Within, there's a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. These books that say, if you only unleash the power within you, 
You can conquer great things. That's the lie, right? Everyone tells you that you can be anything that you want to be. Just set your mind to it. And we all believe it. And we're like, yes, I know I can. I can be the next Madonna. I don't know how many people want to be Madonna, but you could, maybe. According to what people say today. But Tim Keller says, we are the product of three things. Genetics, environment, and our own personal choices. But two of these three factors we have no power over. We're not nearly as responsible for our success as our popular views of God and reality lead us to think. Popular culture often tells young people, you can be anything you set your mind to. But if you had been born in a yurt in outer Mongolia instead of where you were, it wouldn't have mattered how hard you worked or used your talents, you would have ended up poor and powerless. So maybe you can, set, you can be anything that you set your minds to and you work really hard and you can gain success, but most likely not because two out of three factors that make you who you are, you have no control over. The fact that you're born in America with all these amazing opportunities is a gift to you from God. And so since God gave us these gifts, we, he deserves our thanks. He deserves our praise and being like, God, wow, thanks. Thanks for putting me in a country where I can prosper and not have to worry about what I'm going to eat every day. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And so the Lord in Nebuchadnezzar's life broke down the very thing that he tried to build. Now, that's the thing that I think is really interesting because what happened to Nebuchadnezzar is that he was given the mind of a beast. The Lord took out his heart and his mind and gave him a, a, the heart and mind of an oxen, of an ox. Maybe plural. Maybe there's multiple oxes. So it became oxen. So this guy was eating grass for seven years. You want to talk about humil humiliation? That was the epitome of it. You know, it, he was the most powerful man on earth and he couldn't even talk. He couldn't even eat normal food. He couldn't even rationalize or reason with other people for seven whole years. It's like the very thing that he tried so hard to build up his self-image was lost and thrown into the dirt. Can you imagine losing your mind? You know, I think about people that have dementia and sometimes it feels like they're not even the same person anymore. And this is kind of like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar so that he was humiliated he tried to be God, and in result, as a result, he became less than a man. G.K. Chesterton says, The men who really believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. That leads us to the third point, why we should be humble. It's for our own good. Not only is pride toxic, not only does God deserve the glory, but number three it's for our own good that we humble ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the story, when Nebuchadnezzar did humble himself and he recognized and repented and praised God, he was given more excellence and more majesty in verse 36 than he ever had. God restored to him his kingdom. Now, we can't accomplish the things we wish to do apart from God. If you ever try to do something apart from God, it's not going to happen because apart from him, you can do nothing. Jeremiah 7, 18 through 19 God says, no wonder I am so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer, offer to the queen of heaven. 
In other words, they're false gods. And they pour out liquid offerings to their, idol, to their other idol gods. Am I the one they're hurting? Asked the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. You see, when we don't worship God, it's not like God's like, oh man, that really hurts. That stinks. Now I'm not going to be able to be glorified. God doesn't lose out because God is content. He is perfect. We're the ones that miss out when we don't come into a rightful relationship with God. So God, in essence, isn't even being selfish in demanding our worship. When he demands our worship, it's for our own benefit and for our own good. Because since you were designed for something and God made you with a purpose, it's only when you follow in his purposes and his ways that you find your true use. So part of the problem in trusting in yourself, I really believe, is that you don't even know who you are. Right? A lot of us say, well, I can be anything that I want to be. Okay, granted, let's say you could become anything that you wanted to be. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? So the person might raise their hand and say, I don't know what. Let me just ask you, what do you want to be? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. What do you want to be when you grow up? Edwin. Nurse. Okay, great. That's awesome. Well, the thing is, we are the desires and things that we want to do change all the time. And if you poke all of your stock into what you want to become, oftentimes you don't even know what you want to become because by the time you can actually achieve it, from the time that you enter high school, leave high school, go to college, leave college, you've changed your mind 50 times. You don't even know what you want to be because you don't know what you were designed to do. It's only God who has that secret information on why he built you and why he's making you only by asking God that you find out what your true calling is. So, maybe God would have you to be a nurse, Edward. Maybe God would have some of you to be the things that you're thinking of right now, and God's placed that burden on your heart. But the thing is, you won't really even know that unless you're following after God's ways. If you say, no, I'm determined to become rich, determined to be a billionaire, I'm going to get it through selling cars and do this and swindling people, you might sacrifice friendships, relationships, money, time, energy, whatever. You know, your friends are hanging out on a Friday night. Say, no, I'm going to devote myself to this one thing. I'm going to do it, be successful. And perhaps you get that success. Granted, I'll say that you do. Maybe those self-help books really work. But then what? What do you do? You've obtained everything you've ever possibly dreamed. Then what do you do? Well, I didn't plan that far ahead. That's because we don't even really know who we are or what we were designed for. Most people just want to be told what to do. I think that's why people go to college in the first place. Why do you go to college? Well, because my parents want me to go to school. Okay. You just kind of like obey authority. And your parents are like, you should go to college. I think you should go to this school. And you're like, all right, fine, I'll listen. And you just go. And some people, especially people in our youth culture, I think, just want to be told what to do. They don't even care what they become. They just want someone else to make their decisions for them. And it's even with God. They kind of ask, what is God's plan for my life? And unless I know that plan, I can't proceed forward. They just kind of want to follow anything that sounds right. If it sounds good, like, oh, you should be this, you should be that. You're like, oh, that sounds great. Have I ever told you the chocolate example or no? There was a time in my life, I'll tell you, just in case you've heard it again, just, I don't know, pretend like I've never told you. There's a time in my life I, I really had no idea what I wanted to be because everything that I chose that I wanted to become, God just kind of like took away from me. So I was like, that's not fair. You know, I wanted to be a musician, actor, photographer, etc. And every time I tried to pursue after those things, God kind of like took it away. So I was really at this point where I was like, I'll do anything you want, God. Just tell me what you want me to do. 
I actually recorded a prayer on a voice recorder, and I said, Lord, tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. And he just never told me. But I was sitting in the Freehold Mall in a chocolate shop. Like, there's the Lentz Chocolate Factory, whatever it is. Uh, so I was sitting outside that store because I love chocolate. I was eating chocolate. And then there's a man talking to this other guy inside the store. And then I heard them talking, and they were having this long conversation about chocolate school in Australia. And he was just like, oh, yeah, so where, do you, where did you go to school? Oh, I went to the chocolate factory school in Australia. Oh, really? That sounds amazing. Yes, yeah, I, I did. And they're talking. I was like, chocolate school? Yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's my calling. And I turn around, and it's John Latona. He's, like, making fun of some dude that's there that's just crazy. You know, like, one of those crazy people that's just, like, going off. And John's like, oh, yes, I went to chocolate school in Australia. And I was like, yeah, John. And that was the moment where I really felt like, you know, that was my epitome. Of like, I'd follow anything as long as there was, like, stars connecting, as long as, like, an email came at the precise time, as, as long as they made a wish at 11.11 or a shooting star went by, and then there was like a Bible verse that popped into my head. That's what I was going to follow after. And I think a lot of us, especially as Christians, we're kind of susceptible to this direction. Like we want to know uh, what it is that God wants us to do. And we'll do anything as long as he tells us what to do. Well, if you remember the story of Alice in Wonderland, Alice was walking to a fork in a road. And so Alice asked the cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. When you live for the moment, the only thing that matters to you, the only thing that counts to you is the thing that you do at this moment and not about the future you become directionless. In Jeremiah 2, 4, it says, they worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Sometimes we'll just be so absorbed in this culture of the moment that we'll miss out on where we're going or why we're doing that, and we won't consult the very one who's designed us and made us. And so we become directionless because the thing that we worship is the moment, the here and now. Stephen Furtick in his book, Greater, which just recently came out that I'm reading, says most believers aren't in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're facing a danger that's far greater, wasting them. So you ask, how do I free myself of this burden of always having to measure up? How do I free myself from basically myself? From my ego that's always telling me down, tying me down saying you have to become something. You have to do something that makes people realize that you're something special. Well, you do that by becoming humble. How do we become humble? Maybe you've heard that you're supposed to pray for humility. How many of you have thought that? Don't raise your hand. Well, you've prayed, Lord, I pray that you would humble us. I never really understood that. And this is why. Because every time I read in the Bible about God humbling someone, it's always bad. Like, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 5. He humbles the proud and brings down the arrogant city. He brings it down to the dust. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. So I don't really know what we're expecting when we say, Lord, I just pray that you humble us. You bring us down to the dust. Lord, that you make us your footstool under your feet. That you'd sit on us. 
I don't really understand what you're expecting. I think there's a better way, and that's humbling ourselves before the Lord. And that's what the command throughout the Bible is. Humble yourself before him. Well, how do you do that? I'll tell you. Number one, remember that everything we have is from God. It's that realization. You're focusing on Jesus and what he has done, so you focus on him and remember, wow, everything I have is a gift. Nebuchadnezzar had to do that in his life. And when we try to take credit for God's things, look at all this glory. Look at all these things that I have built for my kingdom, for my splendor. We are robbing him of his stuff. We're robbing him of the things that he's given us. Think about Daniel earlier in the book when he was interpreting dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, you're so great. You're the prince of Baal. This is awesome. And Dale's like, well, no, this isn't because of me. This is just because of God giving me the interpretation. So in other words, we want to be like in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are fragile clay jars, fragile, containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. What does that mean? What he means is you want to exemplify your life As if you are a broken vessel, you're fragile. And inside of you is this great treasure. There's gold inside. And no one looks at this broken, rusty old plate and they're like, wow, that's an amazing plate. You look inside and they're like, wow, there's gold inside of there. That's how you want to be living your life. So that people ask, what's inside of you? They don't look at you performing on stage. They don't look at you doing good works and say, wow, you're such a great person. It might happen occasionally, but you want them to say, wow, our God is so good. Our God is so awesome. Chesterton also says, complete self-confidence is not merely a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. Number two, you want to become like a child. This is the second and last point, is that in order to humble yourself, you have to become like a child. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not like this is a keyest thing where it's like, do I, how do I get born again? Must I crawl back into my mother's womb? Just like, no, you're crazy. When I'm saying you must become like a child, I'm not saying that you act like a child, you think like a child. But we humble ourselves like a child that has no importance, has little significance in the world. Matthew 18 verse 4 says, Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So when we give up things for the Lord, we say, you know what, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. We're taking that, um, that faith like a child has. You know, when his disciples were saying to Jesus, who among us is the greatest, Jesus? We're, we're having a dispute. Kind of like they're asking, like, who's the favorite in the youth group? Like, who among us is your favorite, Jesus? Just like, ah, uh, he picks up like a three-year-old. He's like, that's one. I like this guy. Like, what? You prefer a three-year-old kid over us, your best friends? That's not cool, Jesus. You kind of want to have that attitude, someone that is regarded as nothing. And when you give up those things, we gain it back tenfold. It's like Jesus says, lose your life so that you can find it. Whoever seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then you might ask, well, then how can I give up my dreams? Are you asking me to do that? Yes. Here's the immediate application. You have dreams? You want to do something with your life? Awesome. Give it up to Jesus. That's weird, isn't it? It's like the one thing you love the most, give it up to Jesus. 
And some of you are maybe even right now, you're rationalizing, well, he's probably not talking about that because that's good. That's in the clear. That's in the God glorification, you know, section of my life. That's okay. I'm doing that for the right reasons. No, give it up. Whatever your dreams are, whatever you want to do with your life, give it up to Jesus because he's just going to give it back to you tenfold. Whoever seeks to save his life, you have your own dreams, you want to do your own thing, you're going to lose it because you're going to spend your entire life protecting it from other people, protecting it from circumstances. Think about it in terms of money. If money is your biggest thing that you want to protect, you know, you spend all your life, your time, your energy gaining money, saving it. Now you have to protect it from other people that want to steal it. And you have people managing your money. You need to make sure that people aren't stealing your managed money. You put it in a safe place. You got to check up on it to make sure it's still there. And you're tied down to your wages. But Jesus says, give it to me and I'll give it back to you tenfold. There's a, a funny part in, in the Bible where Jesus tells a man to sell all that he has, give it up to him, you know, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. And so a guy replies to him, all right, Jesus, I'll follow you. Let me just go bury my, my dad. He just died. You know what Jesus says to him? Let the dead bury their own dead. You ever think about that? It's like, Jesus, yeah, I need, you know, there's a funeral in town. I need to, you know, like, pay my respects. Yeah, he can take care of himself. You know, just follow me. It's like... Yeah, that's a little offensive, Jesus. We need to kind of like take care of that. What he's saying is the things that you think are important really aren't that important. It'll take care of itself. Give it to me and I'm going to give it back to you tenfold. So that might mean giving up your dreams, your aspirations, because God is a little bit more intelligent than you and his ways are a little bit better than yours. When I say that, I say that facetiously, which means that his ways are a lot better. As high as the heavens are from the earth, his ways are greater than our ways. So here's the immediate application. You take your dreams, you give it to God. God says, that's awesome. I'm ready to work with you. Because how can he work with clay that's hardened towards him? Clay that says, yeah, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, just not in this area because this is the area I want to preserve. And that's where I come back to that point where I say, how do you even know who you are? It's God that holds your identity, especially when every part of you throughout your life has changed. From the time that you're three to the time that you're 15 to the time that you're 50, there's parts of you that change. All your dreams, desires, emotions, your body, your brain states, things change. Who's in possession of your identity? That person is Jesus. Only he knows for which purpose that you are intended. And it's unless that you look to him that you're not going to find it. So that's when we give it to him that he takes it and he runs with it and he brings it back. That's where we also have to think about washing each other's feet. What I mean mean by that is not just like going around and like scrubbing people's feet because that's awkward. But I want to talk about when Jesus commanded his disciples to wash each other's feet. It's like the custom back in the day was like your feet were dirty because you had sandals. You're walking around all day. You didn't have cars. You had really dirty feet. So what the servants did is you go in and like the slaves, bond servants, slaves, whatever. They would go in and they wash your feet. The person who was the lowest person in the world in the household would go and wash the person's feet. Jesus took that position and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he washed Peter's feet. He's like, no, I'm not worthy for you to be washing my feet. If anything, I should wash your feet. But Jesus says, no, 
I'm doing this so that you could do it to each other. But so many times, we don't want to serve one another. We don't want to lower and stoop ourselves down to other people's level. We don't want to go up to people that we're kind of awkward with. We don't want to talk to a new kid at youth group. We don't want to do things which put us in an awkward position. And that's where Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 starts and says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. How often do we do that? Think about someone that you hate. Now think about them being better than yourself. It's very hard. I have this rival in rock climbing. I can't stand him. I really despise him. I need to pray like that the Lord takes this bitterness out of my heart. But he's just like the guy. He's just like, ah. Oh. If there's a cartoon and my life was in a cartoon, he would definitely be the, the, like the evil villain. Because every time that I'm in competition, he's always like really cocky and he goes up and he like, I saw him at a competition, and he was, like, doing one-arm one arm pull-ups, showing off for the audience and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I can't stand this guy. And he was, like, sitting right in front of me, and I tried to make, not make eye contact. Whenever we're climbing at the climbing gym, you know, we have, like, this secret, like, understanding between each other where, like, we pretend not to acknowledge each other, but we know who we are. And then he'll do something, and I'll have to do it right after him. I'll do something, he'll do something after me. We'll be climbing at the gym. I'll fall down, and I'll see him, like, in the corner, and he'll go like this. Like, turn around, like, he didn't see me, but I knew he saw me. Anyway. Think about your enemies. You all have enemies. Think about their interests. Put them above yourself. Take that position of a servant. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. When's the last time that you spent the majority of your prayer time for other people? Most of the time when we start our prayers, it's like, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need a bike. Lord, I need cookies. God's like, really? You just had dinner. We need to start off our prayers talking about how great God is first, and then the needs of others, and then at the very end, and by the way, it'd be nice if I could have a cookie. But so many times we start off with our needs first, but take an interest in others too. If you wanted to follow, in, follow with uh, me in Philippians 2, you can really quick, but in verse 5 it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is my conclusion for you today, my challenge to you. The reason you should be humble is because God himself was humble. I'm not just saying, well, yeah, he was God, but just think about this for a second. He humbled himself so much in a way that we could never copy because he started from glory and went and humiliated himself even to the death of the cross. We started off as worthless people and we're trying to become something. He started out with everything and gave up everything for us. You know, it's like that philosophical question when you're four years old and you're like, did God really experience pain when he was on the earth if he was God? Yes, he did. 
How do we know that? Because God humbled himself so much that he became like us. It's not like he cheated and he took some of his attributes. He's like, yeah, I'm going to just like, I'll still be a, a man, but I'm going to, you know, every now and then I'm going to use my powers to feed myself when I'm hungry. And not once in the Bible did Jesus ever use a miracle for himself. Even Satan, when he was tempting him in the desert, said, you look pretty hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Why don't you make yourself some bread? And Jesus said, what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If he wasn't even willing to take one selfish action, one selfish motive and use it for himself, why do we always feel like we have to pray for everything for ourselves? There's one attribute that God says about himself in the, in the New Testament that Jesus calls about himself. And he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For I am lowly in heart, for I am humble, for I am meek. That's what he says about himself. That is the attribute he gives to himself. It's not like an attribute that you just say, oh yeah, I'm being humble, I'm being meek, I'm just doing my job. But Jesus exemplified that for us so that we could copy it for each other. So think about it. So Jesus comes down to earth. He gives up all of his powers and he comes down into the earth and he does his thing and he didn't have to. It wasn't like he gets some greater glory and that's why he did it. It was like a selfish motive. Like I'm going to make these people worship me so I feel better in the end. He did it for us with us in mind so that when he comes down and helps us and serves us, he served us just for our benefit. It's not like he had this selfish ambition in the end. He was completely selfless. It was the definition of that. So when we come to God, we can realize that he has our best interest in mind. So when you sin, when you screw up, when you do things wrong, you have to stop thinking that God has like this selfish motive behind it. And God's like, well, I'm not really going to answer your prayers. I'm not really going to forgive you. I'm not going to really do any of those things. Because if he was willing to bring himself down to the earth and humble himself and died for you and your sins while you were still a sinner... How much more will he give you everything in return? But it's us that when we feed ourselves with our pride, you know, the very sin that Satan himself fell by, when we feed ourselves with our ambitions, our egos, our, ourselves, and we're feeding to ourselves, we, in a sense, become a slave to ourself. And we have to keep feeding it. We have to keep striving. We have to keep building this tower. And we don't realize that our ankles are made of clay. But maybe you're like Saul. You're like Saul who is riding on the road to Damascus to kill Christians because he believed he was serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. And Jesus met him on that road to Damascus. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When he said that, that's what changed his life because all along he thought he was serving God, but he was really serving himself. And God met him and changed his perspective on that. So, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is the last verse I'll close with. God says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land.